Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello. We are back for another Love Tennis podcast. I'm George Belshaw. I'm waiting for James Gray and Calvin Besson to join me. And I'm feeling pretty sad this week, I have to say. Here's Calvin. Hello, Calvin. And here's James. Hello, James. Sorry, I was a bit slovenly there. I'd kind That's of all right. Refresh my app. I think again, pretty quick speed getting in here. I mean, it's almost it's almost like we plan this stuff and sit on a Zoom call for ten minutes beforehand and then instantly go online together. The, those who aren't uh, listening live will have just heard me starting a monologue saying I'm feeling a bit sad this week and would have felt uh, just yes. very cut off. George, you set up a bit of um, sad news in the WhatsApp group and then refused to tell us who it was. Do you want to tell us why you're so sad? Well, my my tennis year just keeps going from bad to worse, James. Oh, I knew it would be about your tennis game. <laughs> There's nothing sad about my game. My game is tremendous. I'm playing fantastically. My body is the issue. So right. I joined, this, I, I don't know how much I've told you about this new club I joined or not. but Too just, much. Too every much, week, every <laughs> week. <laughs> but I, so I joined a club uh, just before the last lockdown, I, I've, like a week or two before, and I rolled my ankle the day after joining, so I couldn't play before the lockdown. Come out of this lockdown fine, feeling good. Went uh, to what's called the club period for the first time on Saturday, meeting a load of members, boshing down some aces, having a great time. Only popped my bloody tricep. So I'm now so booked in on the fifth. <laughs> I did it in September and it's gone again. I'm absolutely fuming. So I mean, my, I don't oh. think I've ever heard of anyone injuring their tricep. That's I know. I'm much more interested in this than I thought I'd be. I have to say. Yeah, I thought um, you. I thought I thought it'd entertain you. So you so you've now injured your tricep twice. Yes. And and it's very annoying. I mean, is it surgery? Are they going to cut it off? I mean, it, it's one of these things that I've, I've been putting off. I've been trying to treat it myself with, you know, the rest and ice and stuff for a few months. And I thought I'd got it back, been doing some light gym work, feeling good. 
launched into one big serve at the weekend and off it goes again. So I've, I've finally succumbed to spending far too much, which I'm starting on Friday. There were, there were, right. there were some people who were questioning whether we'd have any tennis chat to do this week. <laughs> but I think I think already five George, minutes in, we've... George, George has blown we've, him out of the water. We've put that to bed, haven't we? I mean, that's good. I mean, I will try and see if we can get a fitness expert on before the end of the hour, just to, maybe to take you through some... <laughs> Um, ben Dinner is quite a good mate. Maybe he could he could help you out. Um, but let's move on and talk about some real tennis. Not real tennis. I see oh. real tennis quite a lot. And uh, I, I tell you, actually, just on that note, Calvin, well, you probably both played a bit of padel or paddle, as some people call it. I've not played um, masses, I have to be honest. Like once, maybe. So I've, I've never played, played. I've played it once or twice in Portugal. So you're is, the expert, James. That, that's rare in this field. Very, very much so. Um, but for the uninitiated, it's essentially if you've got a very small tennis court and then put perspex screens all the way around it and you play tennis, but you can play it off the wall and you've got a sort of like a bat you might take to the beach to knock a ball around in the air with. And it's the most fun I've ever had playing a sport, certainly a bat and ball related sport. And uh, I was showing it to my girlfriend the other day and she said, oh, it's real tennis. I was like, no, it's not real tennis. It's, it's different from real tennis. But I now realise that this is something I say on the podcast quite a lot is talking about some real tennis. And just for the avoidance of confusion, I'd like our listeners to know, I don't mean real tennis. I mean proper tennis, not George. (laughs) Um, Anyway, moving on. George, I believe there's a bit of uh, news or potential news that will break from John Wertheim in the States um, regarding Indian Wells. Do you want to fill us in? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of these stories that's quite unusual in the sense that one person's reported it and then there's been utter silence <laughs> around it. Um, so as far as I've seen, John, who I have to say is very well sourced, particularly in the States, I'd be very surprised if it was wrong. Um, but he's, he's basically said that Indian Wells, which of course we'll all remember was the first tournament to be, or certainly first big one to be cancelled um, this year when the pandemic kicks off and that was pretty much on the eve of it happening. And you may, you may remember me grumbling about, I'd just written up a whole column with Heather Watson kind of ghostwriting for her that had to be checked in the bin. And me and Calvin had a nice video for Indian Wells that had to be checked in the bin, but they, they never think about the little people. in these Yeah. Things. You were the real victim of the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, you know, they, that was canceled first and now, it's about three months before it's going to start. They are apparently about to take the decision to cancel it again. Um, I was reading that they, they were talking potentially about, um, you know, it being potentially a postponement um, and that they might look at a different slot in the year. I mean, if that's the case and that they maybe look, you know, I'm trying to think about weather in that part of the world, I suppose September maybe. I mean, there's there's just going to be a heck of a lot of tournaments having the same thought, aren't there? Well, so on that point, the only reason I'm quite well versed in this is because I've done quite a few big pieces in the past trying to like reorder the calendar to be environmentally friendly. And Indian Wells is actually the hardest one to move. Like, mm. I ended up just saying Indian Wells has to go permanently, <laughs> <laughs> in my conclusion, uh, to save the planet. Um, because as you mentioned there, the climate is actually so very difficult to kind of slot in, slot in relatively yeah. naturally. 
So you want it kind of around US Open time if you're going to move it around. So you don't have, you know, two or three trips back and forth to these states. Um, so I wondered it, whether, it's a bit more difficult. well, taking the decision really early, you know, I thought, A, I thought of the French Open last year and their big just, you know, they without really asking anyone, they just said, right, well, we're going to October and, you know, solve the consequences. And I wonder whether Indian Wells might be potentially trying to plan some similar move. Um, <clears throat> but I also thought, you know, cancelling short notice last year, they know how commercially damaging that was for them now. They, know, they, they can look at the balance sheet and say that really cost us and maybe, you know, discretion the better part of valour. Well, they're also in a pretty unique situation in the sense they're bankrolled by Larry Ellison. So if there's someone who's not going to be taking a massive hit, it's, you know, billionaire co-owner of Oracle. Um, he, he's <laughs> it, it's pocket change for him. So for for them to kind of actually avoid putting any costs into it, it it's not going to damage their brand or something if it was to wait the year. Um, I, I don't know for sure. You know, that I spoke to some people um off the record earlier about so i won't say exactly everything that was said in the conversations but there were i was talking to some people behind the scenes who were trying to sort out the calendars for next year um mm. uh, and there were some quite humorous quotes uh about basically alluding to what a complete disaster it is at the minute and how stressed <laughs> certain certain officials are um and they'd be losing a lot of hair basically right um, so uh, I won't, no, I won't say not... too much more than that, but but it is a complete nightmare. I think there's nothing on nothing concrete on paper. We've mentioned the Australia stuff last week. Um, that there's the things I alluded to last week about the broadcasters, um, you know, kicking off about that moving dates there. That's the sort of things these people are having to contend with as well. So nothing is solid, and I think everyone trying to organise it's having a bit of a nightmare at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I hugely pity event organisers, and I'm, I've been speaking to one or two in in ten, a few other different parts of the world over the last few weeks, and yeah, it's incredibly difficult. Um, uh, losing Indian Wells, though, if we do go on to lose it, which it looks like we might. I mean, I, just because I saw someone say this on Twitter, and it got me thinking: uh, is it the biggest sla- biggest event outside of the Slams? I mean, Calvin, you're the tennis history expert by virtue of having been there for most of it. Um, is uh, is Indian Wells the fifth slam? Um, I'd say it's behind the two finals. Yeah, um, but after that, pretty much it is. Yeah, I guess you know, depending on who's in the Davis Cup, um, that as well. It, it's in that next band, I'd say for sure. Davis mm. Cup kind of sits aside, I guess. I think what's interesting on that one though is that if it does go, it puts a lot of pressure on Miami as well, because um, it would be pretty strange if they run a tournament in the same country a week and a half later mm. than Indian Wells would have finished. So as, as last year did it put them, although they initially said they were going to crack on with it, didn't they, when Indian Wells cancelled. But um, if if Indian Wells is going to announce they're not doing it, it, I would find it hard to see Miami saying that they are going to and follow through with it. But yeah, it's a big event, no doubt about it. it it's, it's bigger than Miami, I think, just by virtue of it being first. I think the the thing that you might find is the difference between Miami and Indian Wells is they're obviously in two very different states, um, yeah. both in terms of you know geography, but also in terms of how they've handled the virus. Um, and I know from watching the NFL that a couple of the Florida teams have already got fans back in their stadia. Um, the okay. Jacksonville Jaguars, for example, who usually can't get fans in in normal times, um, <laughs> but the, yeah. 
they've had a few fans in their stadium. I'm pretty sure the Dolphins have as well. Um, okay. and I wonder with with Florida being a, a bit more of a red state, um, and, and you know Miami being a bit more of a a red city, as we found out. Um, I wonder whether you might see kind of a different reaction um, in Miami as opposed to um, in Indian Wells. So it would be, certainly be interesting to see. And I would, I would, I would sort of think politically, I'd be surprised if with Ellison, he, he, knowing sort of not knowing him, but the way that he normally behaves, I don't think he'd want to call it off unless he was thinking the other one would as well. Right. Okay. That would certainly make sense. Um, and also, you know, the other factor to take in here, and George, you alluded to it, it's rather a nice segue, really, is if the Australian Open is going to start late, which we understand it, it may well, um, are they talking about the 8th of February as a start date for that? Yeah, I think it's second week of February. I can't remember the exact day. Well, um, well point, point being, if, if you start that late, then if Indian Wells ran its normal slot, you, you probably have quite a lot of players thinking it's not really worth it. Yeah, and the, the there's obviously a, a fair amount of events that come after that. Um, you know, they're not they're not the same size, so some of these are going to be Akatulka. casualties. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, so, Rio de Janeiro, maybe is that in there? Yeah, and yeah. you know, you used to have stuff like Rotterdam and um, what else is in there? Qatar. All those kind of indoors. There's one like Marseille. Um, yeah, yeah, Doha's normally there's one in there's one before, and then there's Dubai. After. Yeah, one of the Middle um, Eastern after. Yeah, but there's some talk about there being a bit, a bit of a Middle Eastern pre-season, almost like a warm-up before people go to Australia. There's some talk about that potentially happening. Well, I mean, um, I know that a lot of things have, you know, kind of the IPL, for example, ran uh, on three tournaments across the UAE in a kind of enlarged bubble. There, um, I was asking you earlier about the Mubadala. Um, Mucho Cashola Tennis Championship you, you know when you asked me that I tried to go on their website you actually asked me that a couple of days ago and it looked like yeah. I just didn't bother replying to you um, yeah. and I cl- <laughs> the reason is I clicked onto their website and it, it's totally down so clearly everyone is wanting to know about the Mubadala World Championships well I did manage to get on it um, uh, oh, well more done. recently yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it basically still says it's going ahead 19th to the 21st of December or whatever which they announced even- anyone no, no, there's no one announced, um, which, you know, I mean, having spent the last couple of weeks doing some investigative journalism that involves trying to get um, various high ranking members of the Emirati royal family to talk about things and to be transparent about things, then if they don't have a plan, they ain't going to tell you about it, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and it is run pretty much by the same uh, the same authority in this case. So, uh, yeah, there's not too much of a surprise. Um, but the big news, of course, if the Australian Open does move to that slot, is it's going to clash with Married at First Sight Australia, which is just, I mean, that is a real problem from a teller. I mean, I'm joking, but it is true. And, you know, George, as I think you alerted us to earlier, Channel 9 are going to ask for some money back on their TV rights deal. Yeah, and that that's one reason why they were absolutely desperate not to move the date initially. But, yeah. you know, broadcasters, as we, we've known in England as well, this year with the Premier League moving and stuff, you, you'd think they'd just be happy to get things on. But actually, any chance where a contract's slightly broken, they suddenly start demanding more money back. And I, I suppose you can see both sides of it, but... They, they they won't hesitate to claim the contract is being breached and try and save some money on their end as well. 
Mm. And of course, the kind of knock-on effect down, you know, down the ladder, and and you know, Calvin, you'll know this from first-hand experience. Is it, it with the schedule completely up in the air the way it is? You know, you're you're in no position to be if you're working with a player, you're in no position to be planning anything really, are you? Um, as of right now, no, it's impossible. We don't know. <laughs> up until about 48 hours ago, there wasn't a single tournament on the schedule um, for the beginning of next year. They, they've put three on now. Um, I think there may have been some more today. I've not checked today, but I, I don't think there will have been. Um, so, yeah, it's just impossible, and, and that, that's all we've got to work with at the minute, just sort of very small um very small sort of details in terms of schedule for next year. Mm, yeah, and of course, I mean, I remember I was speaking to Dan Evans last month. I can't. Uh, time is very complicated at the moment. I'm still in tier three, so I don't get to leave the house. I don't get to, um, basically, speaking to him, and he was kind of uh, saying that they couldn't even book a flight to Australia. So, um, yeah, difficult for, for players all over the world. I'm delighted to say we've got one of them um, on the line now uh, through the magic of technology. We're joined by British tennis player Luke Johnson. Luke, how are you? Hi, guys. Hi, I'm good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. No, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm going to ask you with the most important question and the one that George and I have been throwing around <laughs> all week. Um, and he's, he, he's probably not even listening, so you can say what you want. Um, what's Calvin like as a coach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... Honestly, I, w- I would love to be able to slate him, knowing he's listening. But um, <laughs> but no, he, he he's great. Um, for me, he's great. He's been. We've known each other since I was probably probably about twelve. I think I'd say. Do you reckon that's right, Carl? About twelve? Yeah, maybe a bit younger. Yeah, maybe even younger. Maybe yeah, ten. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. ten. But then we've only started really working together this year. But it's been it's been a great help for for my game. Um, and we get on, we get on well off the court, which I think is which is a, a part that people don't really think about when you travel with a coach. Um, you spend so much time together that it's uh, it's important that you can enjoy each other's company without tennis as well. Um, but no, on the court, it's been great. I've seen sort of big improvements uh, this year, especially. Um, but so yeah, I, I was just going to say, kind of on that point about you know, getting on with each other. What is it that you kind of look for in a coach or how do you judge a good coach? Is it just your results or kind of how you feel working together? What's the main kind of factor? I think, yeah, results obviously play into that. Um, I mean, if you're winning, practices become more enjoyable, more more relaxed, I think. Um, but I think, again, you've got to think about if you get on with the coach, their coaching style, how they how they communicate to you as a player. Um, I think you can have the greatest coach in the world, but if the communication isn't isn't sort of good on the court, you're not going to get the messages across. Um, and if there's sort of a tense relationship, that's that's not going to that's not going to give you good results either. So I think yeah, it's got to be able to communicate well. Obviously, have an idea about how or an idea together about how the player wants to play and and where they see the improvements coming in the game. Um, and then, yeah, off the court, obviously, you want to be able to you want to be able to talk and and just be able to have a bit of downtime. Luke, you talk about making lots of improvements over this year. I think I'm right in saying that you you reach your career high ranking. I think you've just slipped one or two places below it at the moment. But what mm-hmm. do you feel has has improved the most in your game, and what that you've been able to work on as time's allowed? Anyway, uh, we've worked a lot on uh, on my serve and the first ball. Um, 
that's been one of the key areas I think in men's tennis, which is a big one. And then also um, using my volleys because I had a lot of success in doubles, um, definitely early on in my career. Um, and using the volleys and the the skills that I've created on the on the doubles court, bringing them into my singles game. So just being able to come forward to the net a little bit more. Um, and then obviously last last December. Uh, when we thought we were all going to have a, a a good year ahead, um, I put in a, I put in a I put in a really good preseason. Um, I do my preseasons down at Team Bath, um, at the University of Bath, and I put a good preseason down there. Um, and so I was physically in in great shape as well. Yeah, you obviously allude to this season and what a complete disaster it's been for everyone. <laughs> um, what what have you been able to take from it, if anything, and can I just ask generally with lockdown and stuff, how precarious was it for you kind of going forward? Did you, were you worried financially or anything? You know, you are kind of self-employed, I suppose. Mm. I think in a sort of a guy who plays futures, um, obviously the finances are never, it's, it's never great, really, the prize money. I mean, I can say the fourth week and we just came back from a trip in Greece, uh, the fourth week there, I only played doubles because I was giving my, my body a bit of a rest because I actually did five weeks in total. That fourth week, I just played doubles. We made the semi-final along with another British guy, Ryan Penniston. And uh, my check came to a whopping 92 euros after tax and prize money. <laughs> uh, and I mean, that was, that was, that was semi-finals of the doubles. So, I mean, it was, we, played, we beat some good players to get there. So the finances, I mean, luckily I was at home. Uh, I was at home in Leeds with my parents. So um, I didn't have any, any rent or anything like that. Um, so financially, I probably wasn't in any worse of a position. But obviously, I went to college. So I was 22, 23 when I started playing. This is now our fourth year. So I'm 26 now. I had I had goals to sort of be inside the sort of top, top 400-ish by the end of this year. And when you take out six months of the year that's obviously not going to be that's not going to be possible so I mean it took a bit of time where I was thinking at the end of the season I was like gosh I mean I'm nowhere near the goals I'm not it's another year down almost um but then I was able to just sort of talk to Cal talk to some other coaches and just sort of be like yeah I mean we can't just have to get on with it it's just what it is and go again next year really not many of our listeners, Luke, will be that familiar with the Futures Tour per se, but but Calvin regularly comes back with some some cracking <laughs> stories of, of various opponents and situations you found yourself in. And I suppose for a young guy travelling around the world, you know, you must find yourself in some interesting situations. What would you say has been your uh, your weirdest, almost wonderful moment from the Futures Tour? I mean, I know you guys have spoken about it, but the the infamous Skippy Chapman from Portugal <laughs> um, uh, earlier the, earlier this year was a pretty that was that was probably that was a good one from on on court. Um, but I, I'll I'll never forget the I think it was this early on maybe my third or fourth trip for futures. I was in uh, Antalya in in Turkey and. I arrived late one night and there was a huge storm and I get into my hotel room. My roommate who I was sharing with was coming the next day. So I was in this room by myself, which is fine normally, but we were having a storm. And when the, when the sort of power went out, all of the doors unlocked in the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) So so you just just barricade the door basically. Well, no. So what was happening was that the, the power would go out and then it would be like, the first time it was probably like 10 minutes and then the second generator kicked in but this kept happening through the night and I remember thinking that I was sitting there thinking wow this isn't 
this isn't how I thought the tour was going to go. This might be how it ends, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I bet Roger Federer just, doesn't have to deal with this shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just I'd watched I've watched a fair few I've watched a fair few thriller movies, and I thought I was going to have to use my use the skills I'd got through gaining watching movies to to get me out of this one. But no, I uh, I woke up I woke up, and I'm here to tell a tale. <laughs> and you still had your passport and your wallet and everything you'd come in with. So I oh yeah, that was that was under the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Very sensible. I suppose yeah. the other end of the scale. I mean. From a personal perspective, what, what, what's been your maybe your career highlight so far uh, in terms of uh, your tennis career? I, I mean, it's got it's got to have been um, playing Wimbledon uh, last year, 2019. Yeah, Wimbledon 2019. Last year, I got a wild card into the into the main draw of the doubles. Um, so yeah, for for me and I guess like many British players, that would be the that's the that's the, one of the dreams when you when you start playing. Uh, to play at Wimbledon and I was lucky enough to do that uh, last year yeah. George I thought you had a question I'm so sorry I, we, we were doing uh, we were doing some hand signals and I thought I thought we were on on the same page but we lost <laughs> each other sorry about that um, but, yeah, I, I'll ask instead I thought James was going to ask about just generally being at Wimbledon what, can you just explain what that is like as an experience compared to, you know, was that something you presumably watched growing up a lot? Um, what's it like actually to be behind the scenes, etc.? Yeah, so I mean, it's it makes it made going back to futures tricky, I think, at points. <laughs> um, because I mean, just to put it in, obviously, you get the you get the cars to cut that come and pick you up pretty much bang on schedule whenever you want a car to come and pick you up from where you're staying. Um, you get I mean I had compare that to the futures where I got a car picking me up there and then at the futures I remember I got told one of the from the hotel to the site the the transport was full and it only went once every hour um and I was I would have been late for my match so I was like what do you, what do you want me to do though like, oh, I guess you're just gonna have to get a taxi um, <laughs> so I forked I forked out there for my own ta- for my taxi compare that to Wimbledon but yeah no and then you've obviously got the the food there it's everything's there for you um the the small things i mean i put my i put my laundry in before i had a i had a 45 minute practice um and i put my laundry in probably like 20 minutes before and i came back from practice and that was that was sort of in my locker ready washed after the practice um when you say you put your laundry in i assume you didn't like bring it from home you know i just could you just pop all this in as well like, I thought I'd <laughs> no i thought i think maybe maybe if i played it five or six times i'll start putting my jeans in but uh um, yeah, i think i think you should it seems like yeah. it seems like the obvious thing to do um, yeah but, no but it was strictly white yeah <laughs> And in terms of the actual tennis, I mean, what what court were you on? One of the outside courts. What what was that experience yeah, like? We were on uh, we were on court eight. Um, so it's one of the outside courts. It's pretty much right behind court twelve, I think it is. Um, we know when you're walking sort of from centre towards court twelve. Yeah. Um, there's there's courts on the left there. There's two which have more more stands, like maybe three or four rows of stands for for, and they generally put British players on there. Right. Um, but it it was weird. I mean, people talk about when you sort of get on the court, you don't realise the crowd. But it was it was one of those things. You just so so focused on um, 
on the sort of match you're playing. And it was, it all seems like a bit of a blur to me from when you stood in the locker room uh, and they announce your name and you get, you have to go and meet the, the G4S people out just outside the locker room for them to walk you to the court to then getting on the court and playing. It was all, I wish I could remember it clearer, but I think, I guess that's just, I'll have to do it again to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And on the theme of doing it again, I suppose, you know, you, you mentioned yourself, you were kind of aiming to be top 400 by the end of this mm. year, which was obviously scuffered a bit. Um, I suppose is the overall goal. What is the overall goal for you? And is it to kind of qualify for these grand slams, all of them down the line? Yeah. Um, I, I was talking to Dave Samuel, who I work with as well. Uh, and we were, we were sort of, this was last year. We were saying the, the first sort of, um, the first sort of goal was to get on my own ranking, get into the qualities of all four grand slams. So that would say be inside two fifty, Um, and then, Obviously, from that, once you're in there, it only really takes maybe one or two really good tournaments a year to get up inside the top top 150, 100 at that point when you start playing the bigger tournaments. Um, but yeah, I think the goal is top 100 is a, is a nice figure to say, but um, I would like to be as high as possible, definitely playing all the Grand Slams, yeah. Uh, Luca, something Calvin was also telling us about is your your experience of playing over in the US. Am I right in saying mm-hmm. you, you played at Clemson? Um, obviously, Clemson I'm, University, yeah. Anyone who's a big college sports fan will know Clemson, obviously a really big football school as well. I mean, can yeah. you tell us a bit about how that came about and then and, and your experiences of that? I'm, I'm kind of fascinated. Yeah, so um, I actually did my first year of, univer- of uh, American University at the University of Florida. Um, mm. And then I transferred after my first year there to Clemson. Um, that was due to the coaches. The coach that I signed with changed prior to me getting there. Um, right. And then I didn't really click with the coach. So I just I went to Clemson after my first year. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, for me, college was college was ideal because I wasn't I was 18. Um, I hadn't really specialized in tennis fully until I was. 16 so I played um I played for Yorkshire at cricket um under 15s that was the last year I played cricket um as well as tennis so I was doing both of them sort of combined and then I chose tennis at that point um so I still had a lot of development to do um physically and and sort of emotionally and mentally um so then that the college route for me was was amazing so you get so many good players playing there you get a chance you got six or well we had eight other guys so there's nine of us on the team eight guys all who are good which is very rare to find um especially in britain you won't find many places that have got eight or nine guys who are all of a similarish standard that you can practice with every single day um and then just the support around college college sports in general i mean we had a, a full-time physio we had um Anything, pretty much any food or anything that we wanted was there. Uh, travel all around the country playing tennis um, and matches in high pressure situations. Um, and then we have yeah, obviously the college. The college sports are something that I think it's difficult for people who don't really know. If they try and compare it to British sports, it's not British university sports. Sorry, it's not. You can't even compare it. Like I try and tell people, I'd go to a Clemson game and um, we have. 85,000 people in the stadium plus another maybe maybe 200,000 people just tailgating outside having a party on the roads outside um uh, so yeah I mean, that was, I mean just yeah sounds, it was that was yeah <laughs> hated every hated all the game days <laughs> in terms of the the get your own tennis matches i mean 
how intense were they because of that that college atmosphere they were they were intense um i mean we calvin and i always we joke we can you can tell people who have been to college or who have recently come out of college um when they start playing the futures because you see them they 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 win the first point and they're going yeah come on now come on um <laughs> and they game really really pumped up early on but that's just from being it that's just what it was like the crowds mm. tended tended to be bigger at the start of matches um and yeah they you were playing for playing for something the coaches loved they loved the energy of uh, of players there there's all college coaches love that so i mean everyone was just everyone was just so hyped up you've got people often people in the crowd sometimes researched your family they look at you on like they look at you on uh, on facebook and uh, they see oh your mum your mum's doing this or whatever or <laughs> And that, got, that is intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. So you'd get you got varying varying levels, and obviously um, those rivalries that were built just that were always there long before I was there. Those rivalries built, which obviously anytime we would obviously play someone like the University of South Carolina, which are our big rivals, mm. they would just see they would just see the Clemson bus sort of come in, and they people would just stick the middle finger up at you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. Yeah. So, so since leaving college, obviously you've had to adapt to traveling mm. on these Pabla rank tours and having a relative lack of resources. Um, I, I'm just wondering how, in general, you kind of make decisions when you're kind of so self-autonomous and you're trying to decide, okay, when do I bring a coach with me? Because you, you know, don't have bottomless pits of yeah. cash like the top guys. Do you feel like there's enough support for you at that level? And who do you kind of lean on in these situations? Does he ever get lonely and that sort of thing as well? Yeah, I mean, from for a sort of who do you, who do you sort of lean on? I think at the start, it definitely was. Um, it's a lot of me. It was myself, and then obviously my parents. My parents didn't know that much about the futures tour, but they knew they would try and figure it out and they'd, they'd look at what other players were doing which obviously helped um and then there was other players that i would ask obviously i, I started training at bath uh, right away and ahead above me there was a couple of guys who were who had been playing futures for a while um so i'd sort of try and grasp on like just maybe match their schedule for a few weeks and then you just sort of get a you get a, a grip of what you prefer um and what you what you like and then i think from then on it's just sort of been yeah, I make I make a lot of the decisions myself. Um, obviously, now I run them I run them by Calv, um, and he might have an idea or um, like the sort of the week off I had in Greece. That was sort of we're in a we're in a, a lockdown here, and so I was saying five weeks is it's a long time to play tournaments consistently um, five in a row. So maybe we say yeah, maybe just play doubles on this this fourth week, which is a good idea. Um, and lonely way it can do yeah it can, it can get lonely but I think the good thing I think is I've made a lot of friends over the over the time and I've also realized that all players at Futures when they're not on the court are in the same boat and pretty much well most of them are, are nice guys you can at least you can talk to them and it's not it's not seen as sort of weird if you've got no one to go for dinner and you see three guys leaving the hotel you sort of hey guys do you mind if I if I just come along for dinner or whatever, it sounds in normal world, it would sound, it would be a bit strange to do that. But I think anything goes in the futures. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, all of Calvin's story sounds like really anything does go. To be fair. Um, yeah. L- Luca, I was going to wish you luck in your next match, but I imagine at the moment you don't really know when or where that's going to be. Yeah, um, no, we no idea. Just sort of training, training again, and when it comes, I'll be I'll be ready to go. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks very much for joining. It's been a real pleasure, um, and best of luck. And you know, if you do get bored of Calvin, there are lots of other coaches out there. I promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks cheers guys thanks for having cheers, me cheers Luke thanks uh, Luke Johnson there British tennis player and one of uh, Calvin's lucky charges um, really interesting to hear about his experiences of a, a level of tennis that certainly I didn't know much about um, other than from, from Calvin's experiences and uh, great to hear from him there let's move on um, George you wanted to talk a bit about records because if you have been a regular follower of George on Twitter you'll have seen his piece with uh, Tim Henman and Greg Rosetsky uh, this week over on Metro.co.uk talking about the the various records that probably in the next five years or so we're going to know whether this legendary group of tennis players in the men's game that we're lucky enough to watch at the moment are going to hang on to or indeed overcome um, some of these records. George, uh, why the piece? Is it just to fill time because there's no tennis going on? <laughs> I think we know it is. Well, it, it, it is. There is an element of that. You know, you get a few things in the bank for this time of year and you kind of think, right, there's not going to be much going on. Let's try and drop this in and see. Oh, this really is behind the curtain stuff on journalism. <laughs> um, but to be honest, you guys know me pretty well and I, I get pretty excited about records and where they're going to go and i love kind of trying to work them out and do a few kind of stats pieces around them and i've started thinking okay i'm a bit bored of the grand slam records now because it seems like federer has been passed we all think you know it's going to get interesting i think the the interesting side of the grand slam one is actually are djokovic and the dow going to push each other to margaret court that's my next big excitement grand slam narrative that i want to start pushing which was mentioned in the piece but I, the thing i was most interested about is what is federer actually going to be left with okay you, you're probably thinking he's going to have most men's wimbledon titles but i wouldn't necessarily be surprised if djokovic caught him on that still because there aren't that many other guys at the minute i look at on grass and think oh you you're going to be a serious contender there i think at the minute is kind of Federer, Djokovic, and if Murray was ever to get fit again, he's the sort of player I would say is a contender there. Um, so there's that, which I didn't really talk about in this piece, so that's a bit irrelevant, but just just for a bit of context. Um, and then the the two other ones are actually held by Jimmy Connors at the moment. Um, Can we just actually briefly talk about Jimmy Connors? Because I feel like we t- well, just just for a bit of context, because I'll be sounds honest. like a long runner piece. <laughs> <laughs> No, he doesn't. Do you hate him as much as he bundled box? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Well, you know what? I don't know what box to put him in because I don't really know much about him as a player because, frankly, I wasn't around. Um, now, fortunately, Calvin's as old as the hills um, and knows a lot more about Jimmy Connors. I mean, maybe just, you know, he, he's a, look, he's got the most ATP titles of all time. He's got the most ATP match wins of all time. Was he just someone, Calvin, who kind of lucked into an era when there wasn't much competition and had good longevity? He spanned two eras, I think, that you could label both of those in. Strangely, because one of the sort of the probably the most famous era of tennis ever, which was sort of late 70s, early 80s, um, wasn't actually depth-wise the strongest. Um, Most players can't name you seven or eight players from that era 
Um, mm. And, of course, Borg and McEnroe pretty much dominated the era with Connors. Um, and then, of course, Borg retired. McEnroe famously lost a lot of his interest and a lot of his mojo for tennis around about, George maybe know, but around about 83, George, a bit, I think, maybe. 82, oh. 83. Um, and then Connors kind of, he, again, he jumped in and took advantage of that. So he kind of dominated the periods before uh, McEnroe and Borg came in. And then after when they'd both dropped out and then McEnroe famously gained interest again in 84 and had possibly the greatest year of tennis that anyone's ever had. Mm. I, was, I was just going to say on that McEnroe point, um, I was, this is a bit random, a bit of a tangent, but. Did you do you know when his last title singles or doubles was, and do you know which singles player won the singles equivalent in the same year? You'll like this, James. You won't know this, but you'll like it. Sorry, I say it would would have been about ninety two, would it, George? So it's later than that, right? So so (laughs) the the year is two thousand and six. (laughs) Okay. John McEnroe wow. wins a double title with Jonas Bjorkman, I think. Tournament Jones. San Jose. Who wins the singles? The Andy Murray? It is. It is Andy Murray. Yeah, yeah. Really? For, his first singles title was what the doubles was won by John McEnroe, which I just love. I think that's such a great... Oh, so that was his first singles title. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. Did he you... in the final, did he? Oh, I don't know that, I'm afraid. You're so. probably right. But again, the thing with Con- with Connors though, there is like I say, it was eighty four was where McEnroe really took back over, and then you had the Becker Edberg period. But Connors mm. was still making. When did he have that run to the quarters of the US? Was that ninety? Yeah, sounds about right. So he almost mm. has like almost a twenty year career. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, that longevity is something that's been what well, was certainly unmatched for a long time after him, and is now being kind of paralleled by the big three for want of a better phrase yeah. um he federer is six titles short of his most atp titles lendl 94 is seven back from him connor's on 109 at the top nadal 86 and Djokovic 81 george that feels like a, an interesting record in terms of because basically because there are three people on that list who aren't done yet how do you see it panning out this is the one i think connor's might keep I'm not 100% sure. It's close. I'm not sure I see Federer winning six titles now. Lockdown has helped him hugely, hasn't it? Yeah. In May of this year, you'd think Federer was going to win six. You'd think he'd probably going to play till the end of next year, which I think we'll discuss in a minute. Um, There's no way Federer was going to end on 109. No. He'd go and play a 250 or something. Yeah, I think think that's what will determine it in the end now. But I think everyone thought he was going to play the, the Olympics next year. Um, he's definitely going to play through to eighty to uh, his own Labour Cup, I would think. Yeah. So he's definitely yeah. going to play all of next year. So I think in March of this year, if we'd have said six titles in the next 24 months or the next 22 months, you'd think he was probably going to do it. But six titles in a year is a fair whack. Is there any chance that Nadal or Djokovic... I mean, jo- Nadal is... 23 titles behind Connors and Djokovic is 28. I mean, there's no chance either of them are going to make no. it, is there? No. I mean, I wouldn't, say that, I wouldn't say there's no chance, but when you consider in their, the context of their careers that Djokovic is saying, I'm kind of winding down every other tournament and focusing purely on the slam number, that's likely to seriously affect this number. So, 
I, I, I don't. I actually think Jimmy Connors is going to keep that one, and that's that's nice for him, but not so good for Federer. <laughs> no, I, and then and then the other the other one that Connors has is the most ATP match wins. I appreciate that there are lots of other records he has, but yeah, yeah, the, these are the interesting ones to me. Exactly. But there are a lot of other things out there. He's um he's got twelve hundred and seventy four ATP match wins, which is. 32 more than Roger Federer. You'd think Roger Federer will win 32 matches next year, wouldn't you? You'd imagine so. I, I, yes. I mean, again, it always depends on injury. I mean, yeah, but I, well, I, I can't see him not getting that if he plays so, the full year. So the really interesting one is whether Djokovic overtakes them all because he's currently uh, blah, 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 340 matches behind. I mean, this is, I know we've spoken about it before. I think we're probably going to all agree on this that Novak Djokovic does not have six years of winning lots of tennis matches in it. No. It's so hard to say, but I mean, I think he's taken the least damage, hasn't he, of any of the, you know, thing is... But he's he, he he's not had lower body injuries generally, right? My yeah, legs. No. He's no. not, he's, his legs are fine, but his elbow and his shoulder are not great at all. He had to rebuild his serve, basically. Otherwise, he just couldn't play tennis anymore. So, yeah, I agree. He's he's not had the lower legs, the leg stuff that Federer or Nadal or Murray have had. But you know, shoulders and elbows—they're also problematic. It's also, I think, the style of play, the 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 way that you can't be playing the way that you, you can play the way that Federer plays at 39 years old and still win tennis matches at the top. I don't think you can play the way that Djokovic plays at 39 years old and, mm. and still be winning tennis matches at the highest level. But but is there a chance that Djokovic... Could, I mean, I know it, it would be a greater transition, but is there any chance that he could emerge from a chrysalis and become a totally different player? Well, there has been transitions towards this. And like, if you watch some of his tournaments in recent years, I'm not saying he does this at every single one, but there are times where he does start serving like Sampras. I mean, he... He does have weeks where he is serving way better than he ever has done. It's a, an accurate, potent serve that can put himself on top. Do I see him then transforming his game and starting killing it straight after every single point? I'm not sure, but he has definitely started adapting in that side of things on the serve. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, it, again, the big question with all this stuff is, are the players below going to get good enough to really knock him off the court and stop him making that transition. And you'd say someone like Dominic Team probably is going to be good enough to do that. Um, but it's about the other guys catching up as well. Else Djokovic, he'll be, he'll be there or thereabouts. I still see him making semi-finals for the next five years. It's about, are these other players going to come through and beat him in the big moments? I guess it's, it's exactly the Connors solution, isn't it? You know, the thing was that he, well, as other players came and went, as they seem to a lot in the 80s, um, he he was always there thereabouts, as you say, George, and kind of filling in the gaps and scooping up titles when the opportunity um, kind of presented itself. I mean, the the one person's opinion or the two people's opinion we haven't necessarily touched on is, is Tenman and, and Rosetsky. George, I think your your clickbait headline was uh, that they should agree. Um, <laughs> what, what was their main point of contention? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> it wasn't a line. George doesn't write the page. Not anymore. Oh, you've, you've cracked me up there. I really enjoyed that. Um, 
Well, I'm actually trying to remember. I wrote this a while ago, so. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I thought, you know what, I'll try and stick right him up here. I'll put him on the spot. I'll cut the, his own piece that he's basically here to plug. So I, I think I think the disagreement... <laughs> Sorry, I've absolutely gone here. Um, the disagreement came from... Uh, I think, was it Henman saying Djokovic is going to get all the records? So I think he's backing him for titles and match wins. And Rozetsky, big ask. And Rozetsky is saying the complete opposite. He says he thinks Federer is definitely going to get match wins, which I think we probably all agree with. And then yeah. titles, he says he thinks Federer can get there, but he reckons Connors might just hang on to it. But Henman's saying both of them, I'm going Novak. Do you think these are the the kind of records that might not be matched? You know, there are some records in various sports that have existed for a long time because that, for whatever reason, I mean, I'm thinking of women's athletics and obviously it was doping, but um, I'm not suggesting that about men's tennis at the moment, but uh, in in any, in any case of any player at all, none of them should should point that out. Another another libel. Not not a single player. None of the players are doping. Um, Actually, it's, it's, it's not libelous uh, to say that they're all doping, I think. Mm. But um, anyway, uh, the point I was trying to make is that some records just stand because like you reach a peak and then it falls away and the sport changes. You know, do you think that 1300 match wins, it's just not going to be something anyone's going to do in their career because it's like, there'll be less tennis and things will change a bit in that sense. I, I think this is what makes this Connors record or these Connors records. So fun is that pretty much every other record has gone now. Like these yeah. three have swept through, pretty much everything i think you might have someone like john McEnroe hanging on to like most carpet wins for example <laughs> by virtue of the fact the carpet's carpet's not coming back. Gone. <laughs> um but that aside i'm pretty sure everything else has it's McEnroe's virtually year. gone McEnroe's year in 84 is that is that still uh, i was gonna say there's, there's possibly one like someone's got a record of the longest like win streak that's not the big three i've got a feeling possibly i'm doing my best to find right. some, some like, a, like in terms of match streaks one there's, well, there's not uh, many in terms of titles one anyway so he's, I think he's done well it's so difficult to tell as well with, with how they're going to last because as i just said connor's career really spanned three eras mm. and you wouldn't have thought anybody would have done that and and now it looks like there's gonna there could well be three who over overtake it. So who's to say that something it's probably not gonna be in the next ten, fifteen years if it happens, but we don't know further down the line. And again, like when you've got a number to aim for it, it does really change things. Do you know what I mean? Like I think everyone was looking at Sam Press being like, Oh, no one's ever gonna to get to fourteen and as soon as one of them's done it they're all like right i can do that and then that number gets pushed up so i think it's while i'm not saying every player will be starting out being that right i'm going to get to 25 grand slams or whatever it doesn't quite work like that just seeing three guys capable of doing it does kind of increase the level of possibility and then push potential generations up maybe i mean it's a phrase that's used in representation and and like um, racial equality but if you can see it you can be it And it's kind of the same thing. It's incredibly difficult to look at a sport and imagine something that no one's ever done before. And then that to be your goal, because there are so many times when you reach that valley of despair um, and you just find yourself thinking, well, what if it's not possible to win 
38 tournaments in a season? What if it's not possible to <laughs> you know, do this and that and the other? You that need, isn't possible. Well, that, I mean, that is, but, you know, I think you need that, that kind of someone else to push you on, Callum. I, th- I think, yeah, and I think also there's, there's, they've got to have some context to the figures as well. So, for example, if, if say, Federer breaks the match wins record and the titles record, let's say he, he, he takes two slams next year, three Masters series and a 250, and he breaks both records doing that, that's phenomenal. But if, like we just say now, say he goes and he gets both the match wins and the title wins with six 250s, is, is do we really? Is, is, <laughs> I, I'd fail to sort of think that that's a really great way to take that record. <laughs> and, and I think you know that's and it, likelihood is it, it might be somewhere in between that. But it, you mm. wouldn't make him favourite for any of the Masters series or anything, would you? No, no, I suppose not. Um, George, I've done a little bit of digging frantically, and I found some some records held by non-current players. Good kind stuff. Of, um, ones that are, like, in terms of volume, because there's lots of win rate ones and stuff. Um, John McEnroe does not have the most matches won on carpet. That is Jimmy Connors. Um, <laughs> God, Jimmy. And yes, also, uh, there is a record that Rafa Nadal has, doesn't have that's on clay, which is the most matches won on clay. Would anyone like to have a stab at the uh, the man who has 681 match wins on clay? Vias. It is Guillermo Vias. Very good, George. Who um, <laughs> I spend too many times on these record pages. <laughs> just, just for the record, if 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 you just want to look up Guillermo Vias on Wikipedia, he might have the sexiest photo I've seen of a <laughs> tennis player. I mean, it's like Becker and Borg had a child. Like, it's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's funny you say that, James, actually. Ooh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know whether people have been noting my tennis photos thread. But actually, Guillermo Vidas features in today's photo where there's a great picture where Carlos Panatta, uh, and he's not Carlos, is it Alberto Panatta? Maybe? I can't remember. He he sort of has a situation which no man really wants to be in, where he's sort of sat having a chat with his lady friend, and uh, Bjorn Borg and Guillermo Vilas both walk over (laughs) to to join in. So can imagine the anxiety that he was feeling when that sort of came about. Yeah, I'm um, I'm just looking at the the picture now. Uh, What's particularly great is, you know, Borg is dressed as you expect Borg to be dressed, you know, tennis kit, but with a little nice feeler zip-up tracksuit top. Uh, yeah. Guillermo Vias is just wearing a cricket jumper, as far as I can tell, <laughs> yeah. which I'm very much in favour of. Um, but yeah, I don't think he looks as well as well in that photo as he does in uh, his Wikipedia. He's gorgeous I mean, he's on Wikipedia. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know he's got the the long flowing kind of classically Argentinian locks, sideburns below his ears, and he's just tucking some sort of enormous rosary back into his chest. And he's wearing about eight <laughs> bracelets. I mean, it's just honestly you couldn't. There's make some it, great. But... There's some great pictures to be fair of of sort of Borg Vias, Garolitis is in there, all with <laughs> with Johnny Mac, and and Johnny Mac sort of always looks the most awkward of all of them, sort of. <laughs> Which, I as mean, you would, right, yeah. If, if you want to, if you get a Cal bet on on Twitter, I mean, it, it is a fine thread. I mean, Calvin, it's basically sort of non-tennis players playing tennis. Is that the, the kind idea? of just just alternative great pictures that I'm trying to find of like that? Basically, none of them involving people, actual tennis players playing tennis, but <laughs> I, and anything from back in back in the day, anything the, one, the sort of 
seventies and eighties photos are just phenomenal. I, I love one that of McEnroe and um, Pavarotti is yeah. it's like a competition for worst dressed man nineteen eighty seven because McEnroe has got his socks tucked into his track his tracksuit bottom tucked yeah. into his socks um, with matching top. And Gianluca Pavarotti, Pavarotti seems to have a bucket hat on um, <laughs> and a cravat. Uh, inexplicable. Sorry, George. I've actually, I've, I've actually, sorry, if I could just nip in there, just a story on this topic. I, I'm probably best off saying now because it, it is quite humorous, I always think, that um, <laughs> there was an interview a few years ago with John McEnroe, with Bill Simmons, who used to run Grantland, um, and he now runs The Ringer. And he asked um, McEnroe if back in sort of 1980, if um, if they were in Studio 54 and it was Borg and Garolite, Vetus Garolitis was in there. Because Garolitis also had quite the reputation with the ladies. Um, and they both wanted the same girl who was leaving with her. And McEnroe said, let's put this straight. Let's put this to bed straight away. Vetus was a phenomenally good-looking man. But if all four of the Beatles, Jesus Christ himself and Casanova, wanted the same girl as Beyond Borg, that girl was leaving with Beyond Borg. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a story that sticks with me every time I see Borg. Unbelievable. Well, I wonder what, I wonder what Bjorn, Bjorg, Bjorn Borg's son, of course, is on his way up the ranks um, in tennis terms, as far as I know. Um, be interesting to see how much he follows in his father's footsteps. Sorry, George, you were going to say. Well, I was just going to say, I, I'm getting lost in Guillermo Vias's Wikipedia page since you I'm getting lost here. in his eyes, mate. I know, well, <laughs> I somehow managed to wrestle my eyes away from his and move into the text. I mean, it sounds, I think we should have a whole podcast on this. It sounds great fun. The there's Guillermo a, Vias Memorial Podcast. Let's a get big, him on. It, well, we probably should. This sounds interesting. There's like a big row over him meant to have been world number one that was never counted and stuff. It's still going on. The big no, there's there's a documentary on yeah, it's just come Netflix, out. How um, do I not about, know about this? this? I've not seen it yet. But it's I do it came out in October. Maybe well, that should be our homework. We should watch well, that this week and then discuss it. <laughs> so next week will be our last podcast before Christmas. Um, and I tentatively propose that we all watch Guillermo Vias <laughs> settling the score on Netflix and discuss it in uh, in next week's podcast because this sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> on, I'll be on, all over that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On that note, I think we should leave it. And um, thanks very much to Luke Johnson who joined us earlier. Um, if you're listening back on the podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. You'll find all three of us on there as well, and you'll be able to see Calvin's excellent thread of weird and wonderful tennis photos in the meantime we'll be back at nine o'clock next week cheers guys cheers guys see you later bye bye sports social podcast network hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus